Welcome to the TieSpeak podcast on TieSpeak.com. TieSpeak brings you inspirational conversations with dynamic leaders of business, music, sports, and faith. After 20 years in the music business building lifelong fans, I'm ready to bring the lessons I learned to you and your business. I want to help you market like a rock star. Shoot me an email at tie at tiespeak.com and I'll get back to you within the day. I appreciate your social shares and I'm humbled that you're taking the time to listen. This is TieSpeak. Welcome to TieSpeak, episode number 16. Today I'm sitting down with one of my personal heroes, Jerome Huff, the principal of Roswell High School. In our conversation, we discuss his personal leadership journey, his passion for student and faculty success, and the legacy he's leaving in thousands of future leaders in our community. In my role at LeaderCast, we talk about building leaders worth following. Principal Huff meets that description to a T. He's transforming culture, serving our community, and making this world a better place each and every day. This is TieSpeak. I'm in the belly of the beast. I'm in <laughs> Jerome Huff's beautiful office here um, in the high school. He's got a nice view of the front. So any student who tries to sneak in or out, they're not going to get past Mr. Huff. He's got the bird's eye view here. Absolutely. But um, I just, it just struck me that um, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last few years as, as my students are here. And I'm so Im- impressed with you as a leader. But a lot of people in the community, they probably don't get that chance to kind of hear your story mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. To interact with you. So mm-hmm. thank you for agreeing to be Absolutely. on the Tide Speak podcast. Absolutely. I want to start way back, or not that far back, okay. but, but I want to start with just your childhood. I want to say, what, oh, what's wow. the path for somebody uh, to to become a principal? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think when we hear principal, all of us, you know, we, you know, even as adults, sometimes we start mm-hmm. picturing the yardstick coming out. Right, or, right, we, right. We, but uh you know, here's this leadership position. I want to know how you got here. So mm. talk about um, what kind of got you on this path in education. Okay. And, and okay. Um, I grew up in a real small town, and I had no idea that a country boy, um, this is I'm a 70s child, had no idea that I would be a principal at all. When I went to college, my goal was to major in public relations. I had envisioned myself working for Coca-Cola, working for Xerox, jet-setting all over the country, and started taking some history courses from a professor. And he was one of my favorite professors, so I took another one and another one and another one. So finally I'm going, hmm, I kind of like this history thing. I kind of like this politics thing. I kind of like this government thing. So I decided to be a teacher, and um, he was pretty influential because I loved how he engaged the class, and I said, I can do that. And I saw that he had a positive influence on the students in the class. So it was then that I decided, let me not think about public, public relations anymore, um, but let me do um, go into education. So it's, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah, I had a similar experience actually right here. I graduated from Roswell mm-hmm. in 94. And I don't know if he was still here when, when you came, but uh, Dr. Terry taught AP yes, U.S. History. absolutely. And kind of absolutely. probably a legend, I imagine, at this point. But absolutely. But it just sort of took American history, and it kind of it came alive. Absolutely. So for me, it didn't so much shape a career path as it did, it just shaped in me just this lifelong love for history and uh, and just becoming an avid reader of history. Right, right. That's really served me well my whole life. And right. kind of, But it, the great teachers, and I had another great teacher here, um, 
also, uh, I'm assuming before your time, but it was um, Mrs. Lanning, and she taught AP yes, English. Yes, I remember. And that. she, you go way back. So I go way back, but real. she, but she evoked in me just this passion for writing, and um, so teachers have just this incredible ability to the good ones mm-hmm. to to really just awaken passion right. in their students. Right. And it, right. it sounds like that was kind of that's part of your story was that that one teacher, if not for that teacher. Absolutely. You know, who knows, you might have been making a whole lot of money working right. for Coca-Cola. Th- this is true. So it's their fault. Yeah. And I and I had great teachers in high school and I had they influenced me a lot. But I think just watching him engage with the class, um, he was funny. He was knowledgeable. Um, he gave us perspective. And, and we're talking about Civil War, um, something I never thought I'd be interested in being African-American, but he just made it come to life. And the many different perspectives that he had, um, whether you think it was good or bad, and especially with him being a native um, um, from Alabama, his perspective as well. So it was just very interesting. And when I told him that I I think I'm going to be a teacher, he was very pleased and um, and I think he saw me right before I graduated. So he said, good choice, Jerome. Um, like you said, you're not going to make a whole lot of money, but it, it's fulfilling. And that's, I think that's what I sought after the most. I knew, I knew I would be helping young people, and I knew I would be engaged with them, and not just in the classroom, but outside the classroom as well. So what's the difference um, between sort of teaching and administration? So how do you cross mm. that bridge? So did you start out actually as a teacher in the classroom? Yeah, before, uh, well, back in the day, before you could become an administrator, you have to have taught. Um, one of the qualifications before you become an assistant principal is that you must have taught in the classroom for five years because you never know when you have to go back in the classroom. If you're in a small school, if the teacher is sick or if there's not a sub, you need to be able to carry the classroom as if it was yours. So, um, but being an administrator, you're, you're, you're sort of, you're a manager. And being at this large school, I'm a manager of many, many things. I kid people sometimes because I tell them that Roswell High School is a mini Roswell. Uh, over 2,200 students, staff over 100. Um, then you think about your support staff, your office staff, your cafeteria staff, your custodial staff. You have uh, outsourcing people coming in to help you, such as, um, you know, um, people who work with kids with speech um, problems. Um, um, just, so, just so many things, and you manage all that. And you, you think that you have it together, but then, you know, you may miss some things as well. Um, I do have a great supporting cast as far as assistant principals because there's no way that one person can do it all. I've been very fortunate that, uh, that I have five great administrators who are right by my side and we work hand in hand Uh, we've had to solve some complex issues and we've had to deal with some complex issues and we do it as a team i make sure of that um, to involve them as much as possible so i'm not by myself well i want to connect the dots a little bit so you're graduating college so Mm -hmm. did you go you went right into a classroom did you get a a teaching job right away just kind of connect the dots from graduating college Mm -hmm. all the way to roswell because I think from the outside um, looking in, just being in Roswell, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he, well, here's this new principal at the elementary school. Oh, wow. Now he's at the middle school. Oh, right. wow. Now he's at the high school. Right. And so from the outside, it can go like, well, that was a, like a meteoric mm-hmm. rise and mm-hmm. very fast. I imagine from your perspective, it, it wouldn't necessarily feel that fast to no, get here. No, it did not. I started teaching in 1984 in a small town called Springfield, Georgia, about 30 miles outside of Savannah. And I taught um, history. And I moved to Savannah the following year, 1985, where I taught in an inner city 
elementary school. I'm not an inner city boy. I'm a country boy. And I also taught out of field because they didn't have any social studies positions open. So I taught elementary school behavior disorders. I took the job. Then I asked, what exactly is behavior disorders? <laughs> and it um, actually is dealing with students who have what it says a behavior disorder. So I had about nine students. Um, I had eight boys and one girl had an assistant and they had problems ranging um, just just a myriad of problems. Um, sometimes I've had to restrain them, um, but many times it was a lot of home situations. And that was a huge learning curve for me. I did that for one year at the elementary school. Uh, stayed in Savannah. I went to a middle school, Innocent Amita Middle School, where I taught behavior disorders one more year. And then I had the opportunity to go back in the classroom as a regular social studies teacher. And I did that for three more years, three or four more years. Um, following that, I was an instructor for four years in Savannah as a GED um, instructor, where I actually worked with students who had quit school or were put out of school and adults to help them get their GED. And that was very rewarding. And that's a long story about how that position happened. But it was there that I decided that I think I want to become an administrator because the coordinator of the program, I just saw how he worked with people. I saw how he managed things and how he managed people, how he managed, um, you know, the political avenues of, of education, how he managed the community. And I really admired that. And I said, I can do that at a school level. So I went back to school and my first um, assistant principal position was at Savannah High School, inner city. And I loved it. Um, if I had an opportunity, I think my, that was my favorite. One of my favorite experiences was inner city. And um, kind of funny with me not being from inner city, but I really gravitated toward those kids who felt that they didn't have anyone. Um, I felt I brought structure to them, even though they were all bigger than me. But um, we had a lot of things in common. And um, the next two years, I was asked to go to an elementary school as an assistant principal. I went kicking and screaming because I didn't want to go. But at that particular time, living in Savannah, this was um, mid-90s, I was told, Jerome, we really want some positive African-American males to go into elementary school. We think we're missing that. So guess what? You have been deemed to go. So I did, and it was a, a great experience. In 1999, my wife and I decided to make the move to Fulton. Um, bigger and better things, had great opportunities. And that's what landed me in Roswell. I was an assistant principal at Roswell High School for four years. Um, my wife became pregnant with our second child. Uh, I wanted to spend more time at home, and I asked to be um, if I could transfer to an elementary school, because um, I've had elementary experience, and I did. Went down the street to Roswell North Elementary School as an AP for one year, and then I was principal there for six years, six fantastic years. I always say that that school really trained me how to be a principal, I believe. And from there, I went to Elkins Point Middle School for one year. I thought I was going to be there for a long time. And um, mid-year, I was asked uh, or told uh, or voluntold that, you know, you're going to Roswell High School next year. Uh, they're building a new school. The former principal is going to open it up. We want you to go. Uh, we know you have history with the school. Uh, we know you have history with the community. Um, at, the, at the time, a year into um, my uh, administration, we were going through a, a redistricting process, and that is painful for some community folks, and they felt that I could handle it. They felt that I could massage some of the parents who maybe felt that I have to go or um, I don't want to go. Um, so, th so six years later, you know, I'm, I'm here, and, and that's how I got here. So it's a long journey from Springfield, Georgia, um, as a social studies teacher to principal at Roswell High School. So this is really is, I'm an old man. This is my 33rd year. 
Yeah, in education, third third year. So absolute overnight success. <laughs> but you have, I think it's neat that you, um, being in Roswell, the elementary, then the middle, and the high school, I imagine still some of the tail end of your students from Roswell North are Absolutely. now at Roswell High School. Absolutely. Um, the last two years during graduation, I think I've hugged more kids than I have shaken their hands. And it is really great um, to see the kids grow. Um, and for the most part, I, I, they still look at me as that principal at, at, at Roswell North. Um, and I think what makes me feel good is that the parents feel comfortable. They know that um, I have their kids' best interests at heart. Even when some of them have gone the wrong way, they know that I'm going to handle them fairly, that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to treat them different just because they were my student at, at Roswell North. And at times, there have been some parents who have tried to lean on me that way. Um, and in my heart, I wanted to give them a break, but I knew I had to be fair. And sometimes it was painful. You know, it, they left my office and I'm going, gosh, maybe I should have done it differently. But I said, no, you have to be fair to all concerned. That's one of the uh, mottos of uh, Roswell Rotary, you know, being fair to all concerned. So um, even though that has its advantages, sometimes it, it, can, it can hurt a little bit because you kind of want to extend that olive branch a little, but you have to be fair to everyone. So, so I want to dive into some of that. Um, I want to go back to when it's something that you referenced in in our freshman orientation, and I, and I imagine it's something you reference often. But when you first started at Roswell, I think there's kind of two extremes of people's perception of Roswell. Either they picture Roswell as just one big country club, and they picture it as just this affluent suburb mm -hmm. that is just as a, you know, just completely whitewashed mm -hmm, and it's just mm -hmm. all this suburban, uh, you know, country club existence, or there's people out there that they think of Roswell as some kind of like where this gang ridden mm -hmm. slum, mm -hmm. uh, because they, they mm -hmm. sort of compare it to this, uh, you know, some of the other high schools, e even within the County that might be, you know, their demographics are a little bit different. Right. So right when you started, it seems like even in the media, there were some people that have, that are kind of written off Roswell mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, uh, had taken some of those demographics to say that, that our future was uncertain. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about mm -hmm. what you stepped into and the challenges that Roswell was facing and how you addressed mm -hmm. it. That is a very good question. And I love that question. And for all those who are listening or who will listen, I love this school. Um, this school is a microcosm of the city of Roswell. And it is true, we, we have many students and parents who live in mansions and McMansions and the country club life. But what a lot of people don't know about Roswell High School is that we are number three in the county um, for the amount of homeless students that we have. And we also have um, students who live in poverty. About 22% of our students live have free and reduced lunch. And some people think that, are you a Title I school? Uh, and that's a whole new subject, but we're not a Title I school. 15% um, of our kids are black, 15% are Latino, um, about 2% Asian, but the majority of our students are Caucasian. And when I first got to Roswell High School, there were two things that I heard. One thing that I heard was that there were hints of gang members being here or, um, you know, kids who were out of control and nothing was being done. On the other hand, I heard that there were students who were affluent and their parents were affluent. They decided to indulge in marijuana and um, underage drinking, and it was almost like an epidemic. So, um, of course, any high school, you're going to have all, all those things. But I really took it to heart, and I knew that I had to do something about it. 
And, um, and, and that's what I, I really took the bull by the horns. And a lot of parents thought that I was running, was, it was like a prison camp. And I got told that several times, but I really didn't mind. In the class of 2012, if you're listening, I think they thought I was just the meanest man in the world. But I had to make sure that I had control of the school. And I, and I tell all the parents every year that the teachers and the adults are in charge of the building, not the students. We're going to help them. We're going to assist them. We're going to support them. We're going to give them the resources that they need. But we are in charge. And if they don't like adults being in charge, then they can go to, to another school. Um, but since I've been here, um, we've had kids who have been involved in, you know, they smoke pot, they come to school, we deal with that. But twice we've had students who have had um, cocaine. And that was serious for me because the first time, I, I never seen cocaine, I see it on TV. But that was, um, I had to handle that with, um, with care um, because this was a 15-year-old student who had this. And because of that, um, I was so moved that I wanted to have a drug awareness meeting with the parents. And it was a first. I didn't know what the reaction would be. I didn't know how many parents there would be. Um, but my social worker and I, we, we planned it. We, we, we reached out to an agency that um, catered to teens who were addicted and their families and uh, support they get. And we gave an open invitation to parents. And um, walking down there, my heart was beating because I'm thinking they're going to think that I'm stupid. Oh, my God, it's true. Roswell High is a drug-infested. But when I got there, the, the auditorium was filled to capacity. It was standing room only. And for a minute, I, I, I teared up because I, I was overwhelmed with, okay, I think my parents get that I'm not trying to, I'm not hiding anything. I let them know right away what was going on. And that night, was one of the best parent nights I've ever experienced in my life. And I told, I spoke as a dad first, because I have a teenager and I also have a preteen, and, and told them that Roswell High is not immune to drugs and alcohol. The reason why people talk about it is because I'm talking about it. But every school in North Fulton, including our private schools, they deal with it. Uh, they don't tell you that, but but I'm telling you about it. And after that, I had parents to email or call my social worker or my counselors. Can you tell me the name of that agency? I think my child is in trouble. So if I had not have been transparent and not have opened up um, the school and, and been real with the parents, because some of them want the help. They're, they're too embarrassed to admit it. You know, they don't want their you know neighbors to know. You know, I have my Mercedes and my BMW in my driveway. I'm not going to let you know I have problems. But people are hurting in Roswell, whether it's, you know, parents who have everything or whether it's, it's kids who have nothing, they're hurting. So I want to also be an avenue for whatever your illness is, no matter how ugly you think it is, I want the parents and the kids, parents and the kids to know that I am here for you. I may not know all the answers, but I'm going to point you to that direction. And one reason why I think that Roswell High is so successful not just academically, because we have kids who go all over the country. We have kids who are in Division One sports um, from Roswell High School, Division Two. Kids who are joining the military and going there as officers. Kids who go right into the workforce. But one reason why I think we're so successful is because I feel that they they know. At least I hope they know that they have a principal who cares about their child as a whole. So that's what I hope they get. I, I believe you said something in that meeting 
which I really like where you said, you know, hey, I hear in the community that people say that Roswell High School has a drug problem. Mm-hmm. We don't have a drug problem. The community has yes, a drug problem. Absolutely. It's like, do you think we're making the drugs here absolutely. in the high school? It's like, no, we're the place where they get discovered mm-hmm. and, we're, and we're doing something absolutely. about it. Absolutely. So I really, I really appreciate that. That was, I pretty, good. that, that that was, was pretty good. Huh? That was yeah. a good one. I remember that. I that remember was a that. great perspective. And what I want to ask about is even about that, whether, and we don't have to talk about drugs specifically, mm-hmm. um, but just with discipline as a whole, mm-hmm. I think the word I've heard you, the two words that I've heard you say the most have been fairness mm-hmm. and care. Mm-hmm. And so fair and care. Um, but it seems like that would be a really hard balance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, a, it's a burden to bear as, as the leader, as the principal. Um, I know a lot of that on a specific incident might fall on an assistant principal. But, but to go, here's these kids where... You want the best for all these kids. You mm-hmm. want the most opportunity. Right. And then when you see a child that uh, is going down the wrong path, mm-hmm. that you see a child that's that's made a foolish decision, mm-hmm. on one hand, and as a parent yourself, you know that kids are going to do stupid right. things. Right. And they're going to make foolish decisions. And right. you don't want that to derail the opportunity mm-hmm. for their life. Mm-hmm. Like that's what that's the ultimate thing we want. That's why we don't want our kids to do stupid things because right. we want them to have opportunity. Right. But how do you, what's the balance that you take? Do you just go, you know what, I kind of, I have the, the rules and standards of the county that I can, that I just have to fall back to and there's not really room for my discretion? Or do you mm-hmm. say, you know what, there's, h- how do you know when you go, you know what, it's not time, it, it's not time for judgment, it's time for grace. It's, mm-hmm. How do you, how do you lead in those discipline situations? That, that's a very good question. Um, my um, our basis always when it comes to discipline is the Fulton County Code of Conduct. And we do have discretion. Um, for example, um, if there was a fight, it's automatically 10 days, no ifs, ands, or buts. Depending on most of the time, that's what we do. But sometimes we get enough evidence where we know that the, the person who started the fight, they really need to you know, get the bulk of it. So we'll kind of decrease the person who kind of defended themselves. Um, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, there is no, you know, we, we have to follow that rule. But there have been instances where it's been a level of disrespect or uh, toward a teacher or just some, some other things. I can't think of it right now, but um, sometimes it's a teachable moment. Um, most of the heavy offenses, I've always asked the assistant principals, I want to know every single um um, heavy offense. I want to see the child, depending on what it is. I want to know what it is. I want to know what's going on. But there are many times when s- the assistant principals will say, uh, Jerome, um, I think I want to suspend this young man. And they tell me the story, but I think they need to be huffinized. Okay. And and that's a, a, a term that was made up for me when I was at Roswell North. Okay. Uh, Mr. Huff, I think they need, they need to be huffinized right now. So um, depending on what the situation is, sometimes when I huffinize, um, it's a gentle son. What's going on? What's 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 the matter? Tell me about it. What what happened? Um, and then I'll get tears. I'll get remorse. And sometimes huffinizing means, um, you know, kind of taking them to the woodshed. And it just depends on the situation. Whether it's girl, boy, black, white, Latino, Asian, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but I, I I use uh, we use discretion. Um, you you just know this. You just know when. You have to pull back and go, maybe this child does not need to go home. Maybe they need some time out. Maybe I need to talk with them and really dig. And there have been times when a child has um, been disobedient or has done something they shouldn't have done. And 
when I have talked with them, we wind up in the counselor's office because it was deeper than just them cursing at the teacher or lashing out at a student. Something has happened, and I see that something has happened, and I just grab their hand and, and they walk with me, or I will call the counselor to my office and let them talk. Um, that's when I know that I made the right decision. When, when I see those tears, when I see that hurt, it wasn't about what happened that day. It was about what happened last night or last week or something that's been happening for a month or two. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it just depends on what the situation is. Yeah, it strikes me. So kind of to another extreme, when I, I, I talk with sometimes with people that are, um, they, they've just been very much in a private school environment mm-hmm. and they almost have this fear of public school of like, well, if my kids go to public school, mm-hmm. then all these bad things are going to happen to my kids. Mm-hmm. And it really strikes me again that it's really almost the opposite that your job is so much, it's um, it's dealing with the 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 fruit of the seeds that are planted in the home, right? Where there, there's so much, you know, being teenagers, we all remember from being teenagers ourselves. It's such a hard time. You got this, you know. Th- there can be strife in the home. Mm-hmm. There can be all kinds, as you talked about. There can be financial uncertainty. Mm-hmm. There can mm-hmm. be stress with the parents. Um, you mix you mix in. Uh, you know, any sort of drugs, which a lot of times might be the parents mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. are really the problem. And then the right. kid comes to school and it's they're more of just reflecting what's happening right. in the home. Right. And so it strikes me that it's often where you guys are coming, you're not creating the problem. You guys are trying to Deal clean up it. some of these Absolutely. problems that are happening. In Absolutely. The home. You are so right. Um, I can remember. Um, wow. I'm getting kind of teary eyed. Um, so many stories I can I can share. But. I've always shared, when I became a principal of Roswell North, I tell the teachers that, you know, the parents are sending us their very best. And whoever comes in that door, that's who we are going to serve. And um, I need to write a book. Um, I remember very vividly when I was a teacher um, in inner city Savannah, a girl, her name was Latanya. I remember it just like it was yesterday. I'm not going to call her whole name. But she I, she hated my guts. She hated, hated, hated my guts. And one day I just pulled her out of class and said, what have I done to you? You know, everyone else seems to be happy. You're always frowning and you snap when I answer you. And we got to talking and she said I reminded her of her mother's boyfriends with an S. And I don't want anyone, I don't want a man telling me what to do. And we started talking and I found out there was abuse. She felt abandoned. And she blamed it on the men in her mother's life. Um, so I recognized that and told her, I'm not one of the, your mom's boyfriends. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm okay. That did not soften her. But the next year when she was in eighth grade, um, every morning she came by my room and just stood there. Hey, Mr. Huff, how you doing? So I knew that I was her surrogate dad, you know. So that's when I knew that I couldn't just fuss at her. And I think that was the time when I realized that, and I think it has helped me as an administrator, you can't always judge everything just by, you know, where they cursed a teacher or they, you know, said something. And the same applies with teachers as well. You know, I've had to talk to teachers who have had a rough day and they get in my office and I go, okay, what's really wrong? It's not, that's not it. What's really wrong? And so um, there are days when I feel like Dr. Phil in in here and in my offices. So, um, yeah, you, it's it's you, we have to we have to look at the whole child, um, and and I think if I I had many problems as well, but I didn't tell teachers, 
But I think that's one reason why I think deep down or self um, subconsciously why I like to dig and find out what's going on with the child because many of these kids, that was me. Yeah, that was me. I want to transition a little bit. You you dropped some numbers in there before just about the school. So twenty two hundred students. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a hundred on the professional staff teachers? Yes, so? over a hundred. So well, I take it back about eighty five, and then we have other supporting staff. So members. how big was the the little country town you grew up in? Oh wow, was probably not a, a whole lot bigger than no, just Roswell no, High School. No sir, Lexington, Georgia. In my graduating class in nineteen seventy nine, there were eighty four students. Right, and, so, and it was a, it was a bedroom community of Athens as yeah. well. So, well, it just strikes me that. Um, what can be lost on people? Because I think everyone with, with school positions just thinks back to their own experience and mm-hmm. they don't really think about it so much just as the leadership challenge. But mm-hmm. here you are as principal where it's 2,200 students, you know, over 100 people on staff. Mm-hmm. You have this, this campus that mm-hmm. you know, to oversee, just like in the business world, if right. someone's having to oversee a large right. facility, right. you have, I mean, every day there's mm-hmm. multiple activities, there's Absolutely. things from the community coming Absolutely. in all on the weekend. Um, it's a huge leadership challenge. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about more, more, we'll put the students a little bit to the side, even mm-hmm. though we don't want to do that, mm-hmm. but just talk about just sort of your goal as a leader of leading these, um, you know, these, this hundred staff that they all have professional aspirations. Mm-hmm. And, and then how do you, do you have a, just a particular sort of leadership style that you, that you sort of subscribe to? I, I think I do. And I, and I hate to be cliche, but um, I knew a long time um, that I was a servant leader. I wanted my staff to know what can I do to help you. I knew I'm, I know I'm the principal, or I know I'm the assistant principal, but my, one of my roles besides managing and you know making sure policies are adhered to, one of my roles is support. So how can I support you as a teacher? How can I support you as a counselor? How can I support you as a speech therapist? How can I support you as a secretary? How can I support you as a custodian or the cafeteria manager? Um, and I learned that when when I have treated my staff as if they were my family, I'm going to get in return more than what I bargained for. So when I have to make tough decisions, they're not looking at me and rolling their eyes because they knew, okay, here's the expectation. This is what I gave, and, you know, this is what happened. So... Um, it's it's almost as if um, they know that I have their back, and and I know that they have mine. So when I have to give bad news out, it's not this. Yeah, it hurts because I'm like, oh, here's one of my favorite teachers, but they did this, but I have to. And it's there's not a screaming. I've never had a situation where I had to admonish a teacher or staff where they were screaming at me. If anything, it was Jerome. I'm so sorry. Or I get an email back. I'm so sorry. I never wanted to disappoint you. This won't happen again. Or either I, I have gotten cards, thank you cards. Thank you for meeting with me. I don't know what was wrong with me. I wasn't thinking. So when I get responses like that, even when I have to admonish a staff member, then I know that I have struck a chord and have done something right. My uh, turnover rate has always been very low um, because people want to work here. Hopefully when I retire or when I leave or if I'm promoted or whatever the next chapter in my life is, I hope people know that I have tried to create an atmosphere, um, a working atmosphere that was um, conducive to them doing their jobs. Mm -hmm. 
And if they needed something, money, my time, I want them to be able to say, you know what? Jerome was there for me. Mr. Huff was there for me. He made it happen. He made it happen. I saw, um, I think it was just last week, I got an email from you that, uh, you know, I think probably went out to all of the parents mm-hmm. and it cracked me up. <laughs> I loved it. So I'll, summar- I'll summarize my takeaway. So mm-hmm. It was very eloquently written, but basically said, <laughs> hey, parents, stop copying me on every email to your teachers. They got it. I have their back. If, there's, if it elevates in a problem, I'll step in. But mm-hmm. you're not doing them any favors. You're not Absolutely. doing yourself any favors by copying me on everything. Absolutely. So it totally, when I was done laughing, I said, you know what? That was a great, um, it was a great leadership sort of principle in that. On one hand, you're supporting your teachers because mm-hmm. you're going like, hey, guys, I got your back. You got this. Right. But you're also sort of uh, you're training the parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the third part of it is that um, I know from youth sports is that, y- yes, you have the students. Yes, you have, you know, the coaches. But the real challenge is the parents. Right. That's right. who you have to train. Right. And in this instance, you're going, parents, listen, like because I just picture it because I because I am a parent, you know, mm-hmm. having six kids, having two kids here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's almost this like, well, I'm going to copy Principal Huff on this email so that I really get the, you know, the the wheels moving for me. Right. And I love that you're going like, hey, that's not how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. There's the proper channel to go through and you're not doing yourself any favors by right. including me on these emails. And then also it's not doing, you know, the teachers, of, they have, they know what to do. They have college degrees. Some of them have two and three degrees. And it would not be fair for me for every time to jump in whenever I'm copied. I'm, I, I never respond unless I see something that kind of strikes out and I may say, hey, what's going on? But nine times out of ten, I don't respond. So instead of me just getting that email, another email that I have to answer, just go ahead and talk to the teacher. You know, it'll, it'll get resolved. And if I need to step in eventually, then I will. Yeah. And, and, I, and I actually, you know, it's funny you said that. I actually, to my surprise, got some very – Nice feedback uh, from that. Um, pretty much what you said, and um, so I imagine that, that was an email you you probably wrote two or three times. I did. You checked before you I pressed. Sure it. did. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm going to kick over the hornet's nest. I did. Here. I said, let me take this out. Ooh, let me take this. Out. Let me put this back in. And uh, and actually, some some um, um, that was last Friday, and we went. To, we had a football game, um, the Corky Kill Classic, and the minute I walked into the gate, I had two dads. Uh, one I knew well, the other one I didn't. They said, hey, Mr. Huff, we're going to copy you in an email because we don't like that teacher. And we just had a huge, huge, huge laugh. So it was taken well. It was taken well. Yeah. Well, um, I certainly appreciated that one. So you, you just brought up football. So let's talk about it for a second because mm-hmm. um, I think that's another challenge. Um, anyone who knows me knows I like, I'm like depressed today because we don't have a football game. <laughs> like, why do we have to have a bye week I'm to not start depressed. the season? <laughs> but um, but um, I love Roswell Hornets. I love Coach Ford. Mm-hmm. I love what he's doing with these young men. Mm-hmm. I love our program. Um, my son, he's a junior now. Um, so far in his class, there's actually only one other student, but has been a Hornet second grade all mm-hmm. the way through. Hasn't taken a year off. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way through the rec, through the Junior Hornets program, now for the high school. So big, um, big uh, Roswell Hornet football fan. I just absolutely love it. Um, but I, I want to kind of get your perspective because I think there's a there's a challenge in that. Here you have this large event where thousands of people are coming in from the community. You got the junior high kids. I certainly see a whole lot of people right. that that show up even at the games where you go, right. okay. 
here there there's opportunities for tension mm-hmm. um there's opportunities for students to act foolish mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i imagine that there's almost a love hate relationship that you have mm-hmm. with the football game mm-hmm. that you're kind of alluding mm-hmm. to so mm-hmm. on one hand you're excited about it but just talk about it of kind of that that tension maybe of wow. of having such a big community wow. event well it's always a challenge when you have you know 2 3 4000 people at one time in a stadium um there's, with the students, there's a challenge of, okay, um, who's going to decide that they're going to drink alcohol and come to the game today? Or who's going to decide that I had a beef with you in school, so I'm going to take it out here in the stadium? Um, we have the challenge of parents who sometimes don't like, you know, well, why the tickets this amount in it? Mother school, and why are we paying for parking? Blah, 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 blah. And it's always that challenge of trying to make everyone happy. But fortunately, um, all of our sister principals are there. We have excellent ticket takers who are professionals. They've done it before. We make sure that we work with the Roswell police to make sure that we have law and order here. And um, since I have been here, we, we have had some incidents of student drinking. We take care, take care of it immediately. Um, and we let the parents know what happened. And we've had had to kick some parents out of the games because either they were drinking or they were just belligerent. But I think when you know when you when you have a good relationship with law enforcement, the local law enforcement, and you have confidence in your re- school resource officers, and you have confidence in your administrators who are here, to me it makes my job easier because I'm I'm not I'm not um, it's my job really to be um, to kind of be a politician almost because I'm meeting the face of the yeah, high school exactly I'm, I'm meeting so many people. Um, Oftentimes, especially last year, we had we were on TV a lot, so I had to represent the school doing an interview, or um, if we were um, celebrating uh, law enforcement or celebrating the first, um, you know, first um, responders. Responders, about to say offenders, yeah. first responders, and it's just been um, a great ride, and um, and I enjoy it, even though I am anxious, you know, before the game. Okay, what's going to happen tonight? Who's who's going to be where? And um, and I almost hate I have a walkie-talkie. When I hear it buzz, I go, oh, Lord, what has happened? Who's doing what? But I must say, though, as a whole, the, the five years that I've been here, there's only been one major incident that has happened that really kind of gotten under my skin. Um, and we also have to worry about the away games. Um, we have a very spirited um, student group. Um, and oftentimes, especially before the Milton game, I've had to warn them you know, we are Roswell. Don't forget who we are. I don't care what the other team does. We're going to remain true to who we are. And, um, and fortunately, that's been good. Uh, we did have two years ago, uh, one of our seniors decided he's going to take a drink or two or three or four and tried to come to the game. And before uh, two of them, three of them, before they even got into the gate, uh, we had to deal with that. And that took about two hours, mm-hmm. you know. So, but, but that's life. And that will happen at our school, it will happen at Blessed Trinity. It will happen at, um, you know, Johns Creek, anywhere, Layston Hughes, Westlake. Um, I like to talk about our situation so that parents will know, hey, this is what happened. Make sure you're talking to your kids. Um, so while I look forward to the game, th- there is a level of anxiety because you want everything to go smoothly. You want people to be happy. Mm. So you, you've talked about it several times with just um, – that relationship with the police, 
but also it, it's kind of a bridge and I know some, some tears are probably going to flow that flow now. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about, you know, again, I keep coming back to it where I almost, I think for a lot of people in their own lives, they think of their education and they go through their education and then their real life starts. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think people kind of have that almost divide, but when the reality is real life is happening in the middle of, uh, in the middle of education. And mm-hmm. this is, as you've pointed to, this kind of microcosm of the larger community. Mm-hmm. And I know there's those times when it gets really real, mm-hmm. you know, when, and I just think about, and um, I know just as a man of faith myself, I just, I know, prayed for you and your leadership where right at the, you know, just right at the end of the school year last year, mm-hmm. um, dealing with a, a student that committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then to have right the week before school starts mm-hmm. this year to have a, a, a student who is murdered. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun and games anymore. Right. It's not right. just, uh, well, that's just education right. at school. It gets right. really real. Right. How do you, as um, just as a man, mm-hmm. how do you as a leader lead in those situations that how can you possibly prepare for? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go back to what you just said. I'm a man of faith as well. So I know that I will, that he will equip me with what I need to say, how I need to lead people. And, and that has happened because when I learned about the suicide, when I learned about the murder, the first people that I'm going to have to talk to are, is, my, is my staff to let them know what happened, here's what we know, and here's what we're going to do. Um, let them know that it's okay to grieve because one, it was one of your students. Um, and then they appreciate that. Um, I know when, when the student was murdered, the first thing that I did when I found out, um, it was still in the morning when I got a phone call. Um, I hung up the phone and I went across the street to Publix because that's where the family was and, um, talked to the police briefly. And, and then I saw the, the family and I embraced them and let them know that I'm here. What do you need? Um, they had a younger daughter. I let them know we're going to take care of her, and um, you know we love them. And you just tell us what what we need. And I stayed in contact with the family, even in all. And I we've had many, um, not many, but those two last year. And the year before that, we had a student. Uh, she was a senior. She was in a car accident and died. So I had to deal with that. Um, prior to that, I um, had to deal with one of my former students at Roswell North who died um, with complications of cancer. So when it was her graduation night, um, I presented her family with, a, um, you know, with her diploma. So, and like you said, it, it, it's real, you know, and, um, and we talk to students, and it makes me aware that we are not immune to death, whether it's an accident, suicide, murder, you know, we just have to make sure that we are, you know, covered by grace. And, um, and for me, I have to make sure um, that I, I'm an emotional guy anyway, but I want to make sure that I'm strong enough for my staff and for my kids, for my students, when I say kids. So when I'm in this office by myself, then that's my time to kind of let it out and um, because I want to be sure that I'm strong for the kids. And sometimes I have shared some tears with staff members. Um, but if I did not have faith and guidance from who I know gives me strength and all of this stuff that I've talked about today, it, it, it would not happen. It would not happen. But th- 
those have been very tough. And this has been particularly tough. I did not know the student that well. I remember her face, but I knew, I know when I saw her father in person, I said, Oh my Lord, I know him. And, um, and that was, that was one of the most helpless I have felt as a, as a principal, because I didn't know what to do. But the only thing I could do was to embrace and to let them know that we love them. And, 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 um, and they're still going through it. Our students are still going through it. And, uh, but they know that they have, they have safe places in the school to go. And, it's, and it's, so it's more than a teacher, more than an administrator. Um, you know, you become that shoulder. So, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen again. It's bound to happen, you know, not just to me, but to all, all educators because schools are not immune, elementary school, middle school. Um, and the same with parents. You know, we've had students that have lost parents, and they come to school um, there were two students who um, their mother died, and they came to school that morning because I said, honey, why don't y'all come to school? And the, the sister said, Mr. Huff, because we feel safe here. And that made me feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it strikes me with so much of what we've talked about that, um, you know, Roswell's a great city, but it's a real city. It's a mm-hmm. large metropolitan mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And that um, with your leadership that Roswell's really – um, has been sort of a shelter from the mm-hmm. storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of these things, like this is where maybe some of the 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 problems can come to light, or this is maybe where, where the attention is drawn to when, mm-hmm. when something happens. But with your leadership, it's really been um, a shelter from just the, the hard things in life that Appreciate happen that. In, our, in, in our community. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank you. I just love what you represent mm-hmm. in that such a great role model of somebody that um, has picked on a career but has really advanced. And I think that it's so important for the African-American community mm-hmm. to see mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And are there are there just any instances with, with some of our students here, especially, you know, I think it's so in the news right now. It's every mm-hmm. day we're talking about, well, the African-American males and some of the stats they throw out, they go, there's a 70% unemployment with African-American youth. I'm hearing this. I'm going, well, yeah, they're in school. Why are we tracking unemployment mm-hmm. for, you know, there's there's a lot of misnomers going around. Right. right. But do you is that something that you just see? Because it, it obviously hits close to home mm-hmm. of going, how can I have mm-hmm. um, an impact and be a role model for African-American mm-hmm. male youth? Yeah, I am very, very aware of that fact. And I've always been aware of that fact. When I came to Roswell as an assistant principal, um, I thought I had made a mistake because at the time in 1999, we were not 15% black. It was, I don't know what the percent, it was lower than that. And I'd never been in an environment where, you know, the affluent, it was just in my face. And I said, what, I, I, what am I going to do? These, I don't have anything in common with these kids. Um, and... I found out that I I had I had a lot in common with a lot of the kids who were white because I was the you know my parents were divorced my parent my dad went to prison um, my mother was a single mom who worked and there were a lot of um, kids who went through that but they lived in the mansions but I could identify with that but the longer I stayed in Roswell and of course circling back here um, I try not to let it be obvious or that I'm just here for the black kids. But I, I know subconsciously, I know that I am that beacon that you talked about a few minutes, a few seconds ago. And every chance I get, especially when I know there is an African-American boy who is going the wrong way, I will send for him or I will ask him, uh, I will pull him to the side and just kind of bend his ear 
or if I see that they've, they're trying to give up, um, I tell them my story and tell them that no one gave this position to me. No one gave me a, a, um, a bachelor's degree or gave me a master's degree. I had to earn it. I was not in the talented and gifted program. I did not take AP courses. I did not take um, honors classes. I had to work and work and work and work. And, and, and to let them know that if you work hard, you will be rewarded and, um, and that they can't give up. Don't you feel like for, for African-American male youth, there also has to be just a reality that says, guys, you're going to face bias. Absolutely. You're going to face white privilege. Like I just think even this last week in the news, I've seen so many stories talking about Ryan Lochte Mm -hmm. where here's this kid who made a mistake. Here's this kid. And it's like, wait a second. He's 32 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. Carmel Anthony is, or Carmelo Anthony is 32 years old. If Carmelo Anthony had gone and defaced a, a gas station in another country representing the mm-hmm. USA, do you think anyone would be calling him a kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'd be calling him a thug. Mm. And that there is this, um, you know, all this, you can call it a double standard, you can call it bias. But it seems like there has to be a reality and there needs to be a strong mentor that say, guys, there's mm-hmm. going to be some things you face mm-hmm. where the cards are stacked against you. However, there's nothing a part of your story that you've shared that's the story of victimization. Right, right. It's going, guys, this is, this, there is opportunity, mm-hmm. um, but, but, but there's that balance mm-hmm. of recognizing that. And I have, and I face that as a, as a man, as a young man, as an older man, where, wow, okay, did this really happen? And sometimes I ignore it. Sometimes I did not ignore it and just kind of faced it head on. But I I do tell um, many of our African-American boys that you're going to have to stand out and for for a good reason. Um, And and I tell my son the same thing. Um, And like you said, this is real life. And uh, I get pleasure out of doing that um, because I've learned many lessons. And and for many of them, no one has told them that. Oftentimes, um, I don't want to say a majority of our, our black um, African-American boys that go to school here, but many of them, there is no father in the home um, or there is no father, period. Um, we do have many who have both parents in the home, but many times they're not. And so sometimes the mothers will call me. These are the African-American mothers. Mr. Huff, can you please talk to my son? At home, he's cutting up and you know yada, yada, yada. And that's one reason why I know that I am here, you know, I'm here for everyone, but I know because of how I, um, how I was raised and the conditions that happened to me, because there were many times when I thought I was a victim, you know, my father's in prison for murder, by the way, and, um, you know, grew up in the country. Um, you know, we were poor. We didn't know we were poor. Single mom, she worked all the time. I could have easily, Falling prey to oh poor little black boy from the country be a statistic there was it was alcoholism on my mother's side on my father's side, um, and I could have easily been a been a statistic me and my brother, but I decided at an early age that that was not going to be me. I'm going to be the the um, I, I knew that when I got married I was going to have one wife prayerfully after 19 years because um, I saw stuff that happened. And I said, that is not going to happen to me. And it's been rough, but I said, it's not going to happen to me. And I know that a lot of our, um, our African-American boys don't have that. So, um, 
I'm happy to lend whatever advice I can. Um, I think one of the best things that can happen to me here is, um, and I just um, private message, private messaged an African American um, student who was a basketball player here, and um, home life was not that great, but his coach took um, interest in him and helped him and helped him went to a small, small, small junior college. Now he's playing as a junior at a Division One college. And I just heard about it, and I just had to let him know. So we kind of messaged each other for about, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, but just so proud of him. But he reminded me, he said, Mr. Huff, do you remember when you called me in your office and you told me X, Y, and Z? I forgot about it, you know. Um, there, there are some football players right now who, um, and one in particular has had a horrible time, home life, but he is going to make it. And um so I don't. When he graduates, I, I, I you know, I feel like I may cry on that one because mm-hmm. I have seen where he has come from, you know, even as a young child, and I'm just so proud of him. So if I've had a part in that, then then my work here is is done. So yes, I love all the accolades. You know, I tweeted yesterday that we're number 22 in the state because of our high ACT scores. SAT results are coming out soon, and I'm pretty sure we'll do well in that. But if I don't reach kids, black or white or Latino, um, then I haven't done my job. And um, then it's just been in vain. But I feel like I have. So whenever that time comes to hang up my hat, hang up my ruler, um, then I'm going to look back before I walk in my car, step in my car and go, okay, Jerome, you did what you were supposed to do. Well, I can certainly attest that you're doing an incredible job. You, our students here, wherever they're they're prepared for the world. Uh, yeah, and yeah. you're doing a great job in that. And just as a parent, I want to say I appreciate you. Thank I you, appreciate sir. that um, the way that you're leading the school and this community. I appreciate um, that you're not just a symbol; you're a leader, hmm. and the way that you're imparting that on everyone you touch. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank for, you for coming on. Thank you very much.